This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or whatever you're listening to us on. Thanks for joining us. A big show coming up. Richard Crail and Dale Rogers to join me to wrap up what was a big weekend last weekend, Shannon's Nationals and the TCR race uh, at Queensland Raceway. But our special guest today is Ryan Storey. Of course, our team principal for DJR Team Penske. Really looking forward to catching up with Ryan. And stay tuned to the end of the program, folks, because we've got a really special announcement about a sponsor that's come on board with not only On The Grid, but also the racetalk.com. We really look forward to announcing that at the end of the show. All that to come right here. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, first of all, we say good day to Richard Crow. Krause, how are you? I'm good. I'm uh, disappointed. I'm and and it's not often you say this. Disappointed. I'm not at Queensland Raceway because it was a lot warmer up there than it is where I am. But <laughs> looking forward to uh, a big couple of weeks, Chebex, as we count down to the next round of uh, supercars, and uh, we'll wrap up TCR. Uh, had the good fortune to go out and check that out on the weekend. So looking forward to it. Yeah, the OTR Super Sprint coming up next for supercars in a couple of weeks over there at the Bendal Rogers. Good day to you, Tony. How are you, mate? Fantastic, buddy. Uh, a big weekend. Big weekend. Yeah, it was. Um, I wasn't at Queensland, right? So I was actually at the MCG, but uh, as usual, I left at three-quarter time, but that's another story. No, well, I was there, and I stayed right to the end and sang the Richmond song loud and proud, mate. Uh, have, you got, have you got your, your ski holiday ready for September, mate? Oh, yeah, no, September. There's, there's Melbourne stickers all over the mountains up in Melbourne and Victoria that have been pulling them off the Range Rovers and putting them in the spots so they can get their spots back when the finals come around. So it's looking good, looking great. I, sh- I shouldn't cast stones in glass houses because I lost to Carlton last week. But mm, yeah, let's, exactly. let's talk about car racing, shall we? Well, let's, let's, let's do that. And actually, I'd be quite surprised. I know this gentleman is a South Australian, so I'd be quite surprised to know who he does follow in the AFL as we say... Good day to Ryan Story from DJR Tim, Team Penske. Good day, Ryan. We've got the power to win, the power to rule. Come oh, on, really? <laughs> well, hey, I would have never have picked that. I've, I'm a, I'm, I've been a, I've been a Port Adelaide uh, fan from, uh, from when I was in short pants. So uh, you know what it's like when you stick with these things. Uh, they, they tend to, they tend to stay with you a long time, as, as Dale can attest. Uh, poor Dale, long suffering as he is. Uh, uh, with uh, with his uh, long 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 lineage of D's uh, support there, but, <laughs> mm. uh, but listen, it's 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 great to be joining you, gentlemen, and uh, and to, to be uh, to be here on the race talk. I often think that if uh, if I'm getting a call up, uh, a lot of people have had to say no. But uh, I uh, I hope hope that's not the case. Uh, far from it. No, we do it alphabetically. We do it alphabetically, Ryan. So yes, it's a fair way down the. <laughs> Ryan, first of all, congratulations on what's been an amazing 2019 for uh, for the team. It just seems to be getting uh, stronger and stronger, especially with this new Mustang now all worked out. Well, we're, we're very proud of, uh, of where things have got to. It, uh, it certainly hasn't been easy. It's been a long road. And developing the car, being a homologating team, it's certainly nothing I'd experienced before. I'm fortunate, fortunate that we've got to a number of staff at 10 Emory Street who have been uh, part of homologating teams in the past who have got that experience and depth. But, uh, yeah, it's been a big year. And developing that car, working with Ford Performance, uh, it, it was uh, – we probably would have liked an extra few months to get it, to get things right. But uh, certainly we've, we've, we've turned out with, uh, with quite a weapon indeed and uh, the results tell the story. Ryan, can you just give us an example of what it's like to go into a qualifying session knowing that you've got Scott McLaughlin in your corner? Because I don't know if we've ever seen a driver so good in these cars over one lap and so consistently good in these cars over one lap. You must just roll into quality as tight and as competitive as, as it is going, it's all right, we've got Scott McLaughlin. If we're not going to be on pole, we'll be second. We're, we're looking pretty good. Oh, look, you can never take these things for granted, but uh, but he is truly extraordinary at the one lap effort, and he gets himself in the zone. He he's got his uh, noise cancelling headphones on, listening to some uh, some fairly uh, fairly aggressive tunes there before he uh, before he jumps in the hot seat. But uh, yeah, he just he just he just manages to 
manages to lift himself up to a whole other level and never ceases to amaze in those one-lap scenarios. He gets as nervous as, uh, as anyone does before a shootout, but, uh, but even in those circumstances, always manages to get the best out of himself. He's got a huge amount of confidence in, in the car that Ludo gives him, whether it's, uh, whether, whether it's there or thereabouts, or, and, 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 even, and even when it's not necessarily uh, the best car on, on, on track that afternoon, he still manages to draw something very special out of it. And that comes from being uh, confident in your own abilities, but also having a, a certain sense and belief that you can uh, you can achieve uh, what you need to when 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 the stopwatch starts. And yeah, he's, he's very special. And uh, to be second all time on the on the pole pole list for supercars, given that he hasn't been doing it anywhere near as long as uh, as uh, as, as the, the the go-to sitting on top of the order in the, in, in wing cup. Is, is nothing short of extraordinary. Dick's often the first person to remind us all that we we don't we don't we race a lot more often and qualify a lot more often than than he did back in his day, and there's no question about that. But uh, but certainly to be second to to Jamie, and you know Jamie's won eight championships and been been uh, world class now in the in, in the best outfit for many many years is, is nothing short of extraordinary. Ryan, you were kind enough to give us uh, some amazing insights into the Penske history uh, last year at the, on the race talk, which uh, was, was really probably the first time a lot of people had actually understood the process that went behind the association. And now, it, although it seems that the Shell V-Power cars have been around for many years, it's still only a very short period of time since you went from the one-car operation through to the two cars into the Shell era. It's still only in, in, in its fifth season, but you've achieved an extraordinary amount in that time. Well, you you had the uh, you had the, uh, the, the the pleasure and privilege of, of having to work with me through all of that, you poor bugger. Uh, so you, uh, yeah, you certainly you certainly have some great insight into into all that process as well, Dale, and running our, our media operation for, for many years through that time. But uh, it, I think uh, the one car situation shows the experience and uh, an aptitude of Roger Penske. That was that was Roger's call to step down to the one car operation and to basically uh, get the, get our act together and and and, and truly become a, a, an organisation worthy of his name before we were ready to step back up to that uh, that ideal two car scenario. And looking back on it, it was absolutely the right the right call. We were thoroughly undercooked when we rolled out in 2015 with the FGX. Uh, if you remember that year, the VCAT, the homologation process for the FTX, only occurred in January, and uh, that was done by Tickford or then ProDrive. So we were we were sort of second fiddle as uh, as the second forward team at that point in time, and, and learning a lot of things secondhand through that process, and uh, and very late to the piece. So it made things very challenging for us, and I think we all underestimated uh, what what uh, what laid ahead with uh, with Marcus in the car and uh, the expectation that sat around that. So then to, to, to gear up to 2016 where we, where we grew back to a two-car operation to become self-sufficient and responsible for all of our own engineering and, uh, and manufacture of parts was a huge, a huge step. And 20, 2017, things happened to be just right. Um, naturally, people look at the uh, recruitment of Ludo Lacroix as, a, as a, massive, uh, a massive step and a massive milestone in our journey. And it was, no doubt about it. He is a he is a he's a very fine engineer and a, and a great person to work with. But the the introduction of Scott McLaughlin into our organisation was also a great uh, a great part of the tipping point that saw us uh, saw us earn that uh, that that success that that felt like it took, it felt like it was uh, many many years in the making. But it was only two seasons uh, for us to get to that point and. I often like to tell people that when we went to Adelaide in 2017, we managed to come away with a couple of podiums. We made a mistake that probably cost us an opportunity of winning a race. But the reality is that uh, there was a, there was not any car, there was only not any part on that car that was new for that race that we hadn't uh, hadn't raced at Homebush, and uh, that was a result of, of of Ludo coming in and and as the competition director and bringing all the threads together and tying them up and. Uh, and getting us getting us moving in the right direction, and uh, we've we've been fortunate enough to to only be able to build upon uh, upon that foundation. I've been very fortunate to be in the position that I've been in to to have overseen a lot of these measures. But uh, we never take the success that we've had for granted, and we continue to push hard because we know that uh, 
it's as the, as the saying goes in all professional sports, if you if you rest, you're going to get overtaken, taken. You're going to get beaten by someone else who's onto the next big thing. So uh, we have to uh, we have to keep we have to keep pushing hard. We have to keep developing. We have to keep thinking about whatever it is that's next. That's going to find us that next thousandth of a second, that next half a tenth. Uh, that allows Scott to keep uh, starting from the front row of the grid to, that keeps our drivers first and second in the championship. It's not easy. Ryan, would it be fair to say, and and I, I don't want to uh, downplay anyone's involvement in, in the in the part up to now for what has happened with DJR Team Penske, but would it be fair to say that this was always going to happen to your team anyway because Roger Penske would never have allowed it not to? I think that there was a certain expectation uh, just because Roger Penske has been associated with success both on and off the racetrack for over half a century. And and certainly we felt that, believe me, we felt that very early on when the results weren't coming and uh, and there were no easy answers. And, and Dale could attest to this too. Uh, the pressure was very much there. But, uh, we've never played a complete, but certainly the expectations the expectations were always there. And I think that... Uh, that what what gave us, I suppose, the leeway and the time to, to, to become the team that we've grown into was the fact that the off-track results for the organisation were, were very, very successful almost from day one. I mean, for, for, for Roger Penske, the only reason why he's racing in supercars is because he's got a business operation here that, that employs over a 1,000 people, yeah. has, uh, has, has obviously the Western Star and MAN truck distributorships, the Detroit and MTU engine, off-highway off and on-highway engine programs, which have a lot of work with, with, with defence and defence industries. If the race team didn't act as the marketing backbone for those businesses and wasn't successful in doing so, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, we wouldn't have had the rope that we had and that we needed to uh, be able to build the team that, uh, that we have today. Uh, just want to touch on a bit of Queensland Raceway, and, and I wrote a piece last week about when race teams are at the top of their game, they're often at the top of their game on the track and off it as well. And I thought the way you guys managed the podium and burnout thing after QR was really, really cool, where you turned what was quite a big story and it got so many clicks that it crashed Speed Cafe on Sunday night. But um, you turned that fine, the 10 grand for the, the promotional material, uh and the burnout for, for Scotty going it past the prescribed point, you turned that into a massive win by raising cash for, for Camp Quality, which I, I believe you've raised more than 20 grand, and um, so you're well ahead of what the fine was. Um, it, what, for starters, did you know you'd get pinged for taking that poster up, and did that change your decision or your thought process to do it anyway? And B, how quickly did you jump on to, all right, let's turn this into a plus and, and, and raise some money for a really good cause? Well, <laughs> I need to be uh, I need to be uh, perfectly honest with you, I suppose, and say that it w- the the rules are quite clear. You can't take promotional material up on the podium. Mm. But uh, last time around, when Ford won the manufacturers championship, was in 2017. That was when we first started to hit our marks. But it was Tickford who managed to clock up the win that uh, that got the result. And and it took a little bit of wind out of our sails. And, and don't forget that in 2017, Ford was certainly not as engaged in the sport as what they are today. Yeah. So we had the posters on standby. Um, I made the executive call for, for Scott to take, uh, to take it up to the podium, knowing that we were going to get a hit. The hit ended up being quite a bit bigger than what I thought it would be. <laughs> I was hoping that uh, some of it would be suspended, but uh, or, or, or we get some sort of... Uh, some compassionate, some compassionate uh, 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 I suppose, uh, lenience, but that wasn't the case. But uh, it's one of those things that uh, social media and our sport, it, it really does engender fervent, fervent activity and, uh, and interaction. And basically, anything that happens in real time, you, you, you see that snapshot in that... Uh, and that uh, that interactivity from all of our supporters, and uh, certainly uh, there were plenty who wanted to get their hands on one of these posters, and, and certainly uh, and certainly plenty of others who were who were pretty outraged at uh, the way the, the fine played out. 
And uh, it served as a great opportunity to raise some money for charity. And Camp Quality is a, a charity that's very dear to me. I mean, sick, sick kids and, and, and the work that they do in the community is, is really quite uh, quite extraordinary. And we, we, we're nearly at 30 grand uh, with that wow. with that program. So a lot of people are going to have posters. We, we, we announced uh, an initiative today. You know, there's three drivers who have won races in Mustangs, Scott Fabs, of course, and, uh, and Chaz Mostert. All three have graciously agreed to sign 10 of the posters and, and we're covering the cost of postage and framing and we sold them for a grand each and, oh, wow. and they've all gone. That that, and, and that's basically got us to the 30 grand mark. So great opportunity to raise money for a worthy cause. And what it also goes to show is that uh, motorsport fans are probably some of the most generous generous fans in any sport out there. They they get behind causes and uh, and they, they, they're really the... Uh, they're really the secret to to the success of this this, this whole program. Wow, well done, amazing, Ryan. The um, two sprint rounds now to go at the Bend and at Pookie, and then you're straight into Bathurst. Um, of the big ones, this is the one clearly, apart from the championships, which you've now won both of. This is the one that clearly the team really wants to win. Well, it's been 25 years since the DJR last one Bathurst. And you know it's a race that's obviously dear to the Johnson family, and and Dick will be the first to tell you that he'd happily swap a couple of his five championships to have a couple more Bathurst wins. Mm. But uh, but you can never be you can never be as prepared or, or as ready as as you need to be for that race. I mean, 2017 was probably our best chance in my time in my time with the team, and uh, we ended up with material incursion. Um, in a valve spring of all things. So basically a grain of sand and a piece of wire that, that formed the valve spring that stopped the car at the top of the hill. And and it goes to show that the, the old adage is true, you know, the 10 cent O-ring can bring you undone. So we spent, we actually spent the, the, the bulk of our test day just before the, the Queensland Raceway event uh, a few weeks past, focusing on, on the longer races. So we've got the challenge with uh, with Alex Premer, who partners uh, Scotty in, in in Car 17, being based in the US. He's, he's already had a had a crack at a Mustang earlier this year, but uh, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Whereas Tony D'Alberto has been been more embedded in the team throughout the past couple of years, uh, who obviously partners Fabian in the in the 12 car. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll be as ready as we can be. And certainly, we've we've put a lot of emphasis into these longer races, more so than what we had in previous years. But uh, you can never you can never be certain about these things. All you can do is try and uh, try and ensure that uh, you've done all that you can from your side, and uh, and and the winner is 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 the one who who, who greets the chequered flag after 161 laps first. Just to finish that though, it, it, having this race as the first of the Euros, do you think that is actually Oh, it's obviously changed it, but from a team perspective, is that something that you're comfortable with? No, uh, it's not ideal. <laughs> it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a shock when the calendar came out uh, last year that, uh, that, that 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 it was in the order that it was. But setting uh, calendars, um, I've, I've been on the commission on the Supercars commission now for eight or so months, and uh, and have a bit more insight into some of these processes. It's not an easy, it's not an easy thing, and I think we'll see uh, we'll see it. See a course correction next year, but it certainly it certainly rewards it rewards experience, and it's it's going to I think uh, I think it's going to show that the Triple H driver lineup is is indeed a very strong one. I think where we've got continuity with with Alex and Tony will also be to our benefit. Um, but yeah, it does certainly make it challenging. And you know we're going to have this we're going to have some of the same challenges this year that we had last year with things like uh, brake rotor changes during the race. That was a that was a massive uh, a massive change last year. Something we hadn't seen since 2012 when we were on the Alcon brakes, and we haven't seen it in the car of the future era. And we did two rotor changes throughout the course of the race last year, and and that's something that uh, that, that we think will be uh, will be to our benefit to uh, proceed with again this year. But certainly certainly to head to, to head to the biggest race of the year without without a sand down or a 500 kilometre enduro. Just to sort of iron out the bugs and uh, and get the pit stops right, get the driver changes right, get all of those things right, is uh, certainly put, puts everyone I think on the back back foot. But, but, but quite clearly, it is the same for everyone. But experience will count, and uh, and that's where I think it'll make a big difference. 
Ryan, do you mind if I ask you about the relationship you share with the Johnson family, particularly Dick? Uh, to me, it seems more than just a, a an owner-employee relationship. It, would it be fair to say that Dick is like a, a second father to you and, and you're probably very much a part of that family now? Yeah, I think that that would be a yeah, that would be a fair statement. It's like he means a great deal to me. The whole family, the whole family, do I do anything for them? And they've also been very kind to me over the years. But uh, but they're also Dick and Jill know my parents very very well, and uh, and we, we've we've got quite a strong bond. But boy, we've been through a lot together over the last couple of years. Mm. And uh, you know, starting from from 2011, particularly at the end of 2012, when I was I was really pushing him and the family to shut the race team down uh, when things were were probably at their worst. But uh, we worked together and, and, and through that and uh, and with Steve Brayback as well, we managed to uh, we managed to, to, to get to where we are today. But uh, but yeah he's 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 basically my, my best mate and and the, and the, and and certainly a father father figure to me and and uh, you know I he was at the shop today, and he's at the shop. He's at the shop pretty much every day. And uh, he and I got a couple of other little projects on the go. And after he left the shop, uh, we had a, we had about forty five minutes on the phone, just sort of talking about what we're going to do with a couple of these cars that we're working on, and some of these things that that, uh, that sort of play back to the history of the team over the, over the years, and some of the iconic cars, and in, 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 in particularly in his uh, in his racing career that that we're working on, and. One of them's obviously the uh, the XD Falcon Touring Car Masters car that uh, that we've been working on for a little while. It's uh, it's 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 very close to uh, to coming off the off the jig, and those sorts of things are very special. And and being able to give back to him and to the family, and and to be able to to be able to give him that stability and and uh, and and ease a lot of the pressures and, and stresses of his life. It's, it's been something that I've I'm very proud of, and uh, and for all the all the all the joy and and all of the all of the pleasure and entertainment that he's brought me over the years, and and dare I say millions of other Australians in in what he's done on the racetrack, and the way that he waits around and signs every autograph for everyone who's got a poster or a photo or a model car, to be able to make sure that his uh, his life away from the racetrack is is a stable one. Is something that, uh, that I'm, I'm very proud to have, to have been a part of. Yeah, well, well said. Yeah. My my last one is is on on a similar sort of theme in that this I know first and foremost you're a you're a racing fan. You you love the history of the sport. You love the story, the success, and the and the people. So, what what do you make of having a business relationship with arguably? The most successful man in motor racing history, in Roger Penske, and, and you can work with this guy running a race team. Uh, and meanwhile, he's off running corporation and winning Indy 500s every year, and IndyCar championships and NASCAR races. And um, I mean, just can you sum up? Sort of, you get up in the morning and go, "I work with Roger Penske." That's really cool. Is that the kind of thing it is? Because I mean, that that's what I feel when I. See Dick Johnson and have a chat to Dick, and I can't believe that people like Dick Johnson know who I am. So, is it is it the same kind of thing? Even though you work with him and you're in in business with him as well, it's one of those interesting things. I've, you can never take it for granted. But, but even in my pre racing life, I was fortunate to have relationships with the sort of people that you see on television and and in the news and and, and things of that nature. What you what you what you realise very quickly is that they're people too, mm. and uh, and and especially with someone like like Dick, Dick Dick's, Dick's the sort of person who uh, you know away from a racetrack you can have a meal with him, you can have a great conversation with him, you have a great you can you can have yeah you can just you, he's he's a real person and Roger's the same, he's an exceptional businessman, at his heart he's a racer through and through, mm. and uh, and being privy and being part of the uh, the Australian business interest that he has, I've learned an awful lot. I've learned an awful lot about how to manage people, how to get the best out of people, and, and how important people are to any business, whether it's a race team or, or a truck distributorship or an engine distributorship or a car dealership, whatever it is. The key to success 
in any organisation and, and, and the strength of any organisation at its very heart is the people that, uh, the people that, 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 that make it up. And, uh, and that's really been the biggest takeaway of, of, of my time is time with Roger is how humble he is as a human being and, and how much, how much care and respect he has for his people. And, uh, and he certainly takes, uh, takes nothing for granted and, uh, and, and neither do we. Uh, Ryan, last one from me. You, you from the from the racing. Obviously, you, you hold one on the commission now. Um, we are heading for a new rule package in 2021. Um, manufacturers obviously are, are a topic of conversation. Crystal balling a bit. Do you see the racing uh, changing much in the next say three to five? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think we're going to see some changes um, into next season. I mean, one of the the, the, the mandate. The mandate of the Supercars Commission is to ensure that the teams have financial sustainability. And that's not an easy thing. When you look at the teams, they fundamentally have an income problem as opposed to an expenditure problem. And that's not restricted to motorsport. That's, that's all sport at the moment. If you look at all sporting properties, whether it be the ball sports or all, all the sports, the sports are powered by horsepower. There, there's, there's only a limited pot of sponsorship dollars to go around, and uh, and everyone's fighting for that same uh, that same piece of the pie. So we have to look at what we can do with expenditure, knowing that uh, that income is our is our biggest limitation. And we also can never forget that ultimately we're entertainment. So we 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 risk we risk risk damaging the show at our peril, but we still need to ensure that we have sustainable businesses. And sustainable business models. So I think we'll see a few changes into next year. I'm certainly privy to, to a lot of those, and, and it would be inappropriate to address to address them specifically. But one notable takeaway from the news we've seen over the past six weeks is Holden's announcement around the Commodore staying racing through to the end of 2021. And and to me that means that uh, that that basically sets a logical time frame for the next generation of rules. Supercars being 2022, and and what we need to achieve with that next that that next rule set is we effectively need to have a platform that can accommodate two and four door cars. We need to we need to ensure that we have a degree of market relevance that we're not dictated by it, and we need to ensure that we have effectively uh, cheap and cost effective race cars that can still basically rub panels. Get get air over curves, and uh, and and pre- present close and competitive racing. And I think we can achieve those things. So we, I think we'll see evolution as opposed to revolution over the next couple of seasons. But certainly, there's there's a great opportunity to uh, to, to to set 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 course uh, into the future from 2022 and beyond uh, with with a new platform and, and some more fundamental changes. And that's and that's me speaking as an individual, not as a not as a member of the commission specifically. But uh, like I said, when you when you look at uh, when you look at, at GMH's comments around uh, around the Commodore, it sets effectively a, a, a target date for the series to uh, to get that next gen rule set in place and to do it right. There's there's enough time on the table to do the research, do the homework, and get it get it right. Ryan, we really do thank you for your time today. Uh, really do appreciate uh, your insight into uh, what's happening around the traps and uh, and spending a bit of time with us. Uh, appreciate that, and we look forward to seeing you at the bend in a couple of weeks' time. It's my absolute pleasure, and uh, and as I said at the start, uh, I think uh, what uh, what you gentlemen do with race talk and Crowsy in particular, you've uh, you've done a great product there, and the long form story is interesting. It's interesting to it's interesting to the punters. It's inter- interesting to to race fans and, and, and nerds like myself, and I think you produce some really quality content. So, uh, all the best to you, and, and, and thanks thanks for letting me uh, thanks for letting me join you this evening. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Yeah, Ryan. thanks. Great, Ryan. Thank you. Ryan Story joining us here on the grid.
All right, boys, uh, moving on from supercars, let's have a look at what happened. Uh, we'll talk about some supercars, I'm sure, as well. But uh, first of all, let's catch up what happened on last weekend up at Queensland Raceway with the Shannons National and, of course, the big TCR meet. Were you surprised, boys, about the the, the TCR meet itself? I, I think the, the word from you guys last week was that you expected it to be probably the best or, or one of the better rounds of the season. It didn't seem to work out that way, though. No, it was it was a strange one actually. I, I was probably convinced myself that it was going to be the the crash and bash and three wide and and really intense motor racing that, that QR tends to offer. But uh, it it actually wasn't it, it wasn't that it was bad racing. It just wasn't as wheel to wheel as I expected it to be. Um, so, but but you get that every now and then, uh, and the series is still very much in a, a development phase and. You're going to have some good races and some not, but but otherwise, from a, a championship point of view, it was great because Will Brown, unfortunately for him and the Hyundai team, had a, a bit of a shocker. Dramas on Saturday put into the back of the grid on Sunday, and it was pretty hard to pass. So he um, never worked his way much further forward than the bottom half of the top ten. Uh, meanwhile, closest championship rival Dylan O'Keefe was out in front and slammed home a, a couple of very nice race wins on the Sunday and, and took the weekend. So uh, what it does do is energise the championship battle, which was looking like a Will Brown route for a while there. Um, so the big picture looks really good. Um, other positives, good crowd, really positive uh, to see people there, comfortably the most they've ever had for a, a Shannon's Nationals round at Queensland Raceway. So that's a big tick. Um, and, uh, yeah, a few little dramatic moments with, uh, with old J.K. Vernay being sent home sick on Saturday night, apparently, and uh, being replaced by Aaron Seaton on Sunday at the last minute. So, uh, yeah, look, lots to talk about over the weekend, and um, otherwise, a pretty enjoyable weekend in the sunshine. Yeah, Tony, I, I, I think you're right. We did talk QR up. We said, in fact, I think we, if we go back, we actually suggested that um, of all around, it would be a great place to start. But Rich is right. You, you know, it doesn't turn on every time. I think what did throw up, though, is that you know, a few rounds in, and there were some mechanical gremlins sort of, you know, creeping in a bit here. There were cars that were having problems. Chris Pepper's car was withdrawn. Uh, there were problems with um, Alex Rullo's car. And I guess one of the things is, is with the spare parts bin and the engineer's experience with these cars are pretty limited. So now we're sort of four rounds in, a few things starting to break. Um, and I guess that that's, that's going to play into how these teams build up their infrastructure to run these cars for the rest of the season. So... Uh, it was a bit professional, to be fair. Um, but uh, as Richard said, I think the crowd looked pretty sharp, and uh, uh, it's it's still at, at this point. And, and, and Matt uh, Matt Braid made the point. You know, I, I think they're still in front of expectations that were set early on, and the series, mm-hmm. you know, at Winton and Sand, and I think will still be will be great racing. And uh, as Russell Engel said, it's uh, you know it's really really good racing. It's a great breeding ground for younger drivers, so it's it's offering a hell of a lot. I think at the moment. Well, the, the spare part thing is really interesting because, uh, and, and you bang on with that, and it, and it exposed probably the biggest weakness the category's got at the moment. And, you know, when you, you rock up at a race meeting with 18 cars, and 18 cars is not a bad grid, it's enough. It fills the racetrack, there's battles going on down the field, and there's enough going on. But when you drop four or five, all of a sudden it's a bit thin, and that competition edges out. And, and what we saw on the weekend is, is a lack of resource and, uh, a category that, that probably showed a few little chinks in that it is very much in its early stage of development in that Kelly Racing didn't have a spare engine for the Oval Astra that Andre Heimgartner had jumped into. Um, and, and they had made some gains on Saturday. Heimgartner did a really good job uh, in, in working on that car and they had a, an engineer out from Europe to, to work on the engine program on that car, which they've been battling with. That Chelsea's been driving and it was competitive enough, but Unfortunately, they didn't have a spare, so he was gone. GRM had a spare for Chris Pither, but had a pretty ordinary time of it. And it just exposed that the well-resourced teams, especially Melbourne Performance Centre, are, uh, are going to have a leg up in this run home because they have got resources. They've got bits to throw at cars if they break, um, and they're in a pretty good place. So interesting times, but that, that'll all settle down and build and grow as teams resource up and get themselves into positions to, uh, to mount some championship challenges. That spare parts uh, thing also went as far as drivers too, didn't it? I was interested to see that Aaron Seaton, who got the uh, 
the gig, as you said, uh, late in the in the piece, had to borrow a helmet, a race suit, gloves, and everything. Mm. Yeah, he did a super job uh, running around at the back, but he, he literally got the call up an hour before the race. Borrowed Andy Fisher's helmet, which I imagine Andy had just completed an hour and a half in a production car, so Sweaty. probably didn't smell real good. But <laughs> uh, all, all credit to Andrew for. Throwing in that, he drove really well. Um, never driven that car before. Um, last week in the race, Queensland Raceway in a 302 Ford Mustang. So he couldn't get something much more different to what he drove. But he's a versatile young guy, um, very, very capable race car driver. And, and by race three, he was as quick as the group in the, the bottom half of the top 10. So uh, impressive stuff. But it was a shame that Bernay ended up being ill or whatever it was that sent him home because. Uh, um, he was pretty impressive on Saturday and was a really good benchmark for everyone else. And he's one of the best CCR drivers in the world. So um, it was a shame he couldn't go on with it, but uh, sometimes that's the way things go. It certainly is. And, uh... Can we try in the conspiracy theory and say that he was sent home because he was too quick? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, I'd be more throwing one out that he went and had dinner with Paul Morris and Russell Ingle on Saturday night and, and rushed do it. Uh, him a dodgy, dodgy shrimp or something. That'd do it. Or, or, had, or had to face the breathalyzer in the, at the dummy kick. <laughs> Could be. Could be. That would do it. Uh, also, Dale, Gary Rogers Motorsport looks like they've uh, acquired a third Renault for their garage. Uh, interesting to see that they're expanding their operation. Yeah, so I actually spoke to Barry Ryan uh, the previous weekend and uh, – uh, Renault have come on board. Uh, you, you would have noticed that Moffat's car had the uh, Renault Megane um, RS uh, on the flanks of the car. Uh, they've come on board, a little bit like Honda have done with all racing. So they are now involved. So it's a manufacturer, um, albeit small, but it's involved. But it's a first step, um, and that's going to allow them to, you know, develop a little bit quicker. Uh, and, and yes, they're, they're obviously with that support. They've now committed to a, another car. Um, so the, 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 team, the larger teams that are competing in this category, I think you'll find that infrastructure will, will, will increase. Ash Seawood Motorsports, um, Ash Sport, the, uh, the car that Dylan O'Keefe's driving. And uh, so, yeah, it's good. I mean, it, I think one of the things that, that is impressive, and, and again, it's, it's a credit to how this Australian operation's put it together. I mean, we've hit the ground with more manufacturers or more models of cars than, than pretty well any other uh, startup TCR championship in the world. So albeit that we mightn't have the grid that some of them had in the early days, some were up at 25, we've certainly captured the, uh, the, the, the spread of marks across the grid. And I think that's, that's a really good start. So, well, yes, there'll be some ups and downs for sure, but you'd have to say that so far this, this, this series has made an impression on Australia. Uh, it's really rounded the box. Very, very good. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And on that, I mean, there's, there's more brands coming. I, I know, in terms of fact, there's a Cupra, on its way, um, and, and not to Melbourne Performance Centre, so there's another team that's got a Cooper on the way, um, which is cool. So, yeah, the, the, the multiple brands thing's interesting, and Renault's involvement was great. Um, their head of comms, Ali Vanderdungen, was up there on the weekend. Um, helps that Hubby was on the broadcast, but she was up there <laughs> flying the Renault flag, and um, they had a great activation behind the garages as well, which was very, very cool with a couple of Megan RSs. There and, and that's the link that they're trying to push, which directly translates to the road car. So, um, yeah, that, that's all the positives. Um, and, and the grid will continue to build and grow. And, um, the, the next step is to get a group of 20 drivers of him for the full season. Um, and it's, it's fun having these drivers jump in and out. Gus Tander, Russell Ingle, Leanne Tander did a really solid job, but the, the success will come when you've got drivers like that locked down for the full year committed, good to go, and racing for a championship. Um, and and that's, that's going to be the next level of growth for this category. We should also mention, Richard, uh, some other categories that ran on the weekend at the Shadows Nationals. We'll do the GT3 Cup Challenge in just one tick. Uh, the big feature always on that weekend up at Queensland Raceway is the fight in the night uh, with the Australian Production Car Series. And Berwick Linton and Tim Lay once again claiming another victory. Yeah, they did a really good job. But can we talk about Porsche Michelin's GT3 Cup Challenge? Because it's the best racing of the season. Um, yeah, I was going to. I was just trying to. That's yeah, all. no. Look, well, well done, Barry Kinlay. Drove, drove superbly. Um, great, great stuff. Races went all, all together, thrilling in production cars. If we're perfectly honest. Uh, so, no, no. Barry and Tim has done a superb job there, uh, batting at a hundred so far this year because they won the six hour and they won the opening round 
of the championship at Eastern Creek, and they've gone on and done the same in Queensland. So big tick, well done, great stuff. Um, yeah, Jenny Three Cup Challenge, extraordinary racing. Uh, that that series and the young guys in the pointy end of that, it, it's like Super Three that we talked about last week. Um, fiercely competitive, and I don't know if you boys watched the the two hundred series race, which was on Saturday afternoon, but it's one of the races of the year. It was the only one I saw, three yeah. laps of, yeah, four guys, nose tail, and then they just keyed off towards the end, and lead changes and mechanical issues and drama, and yeah, it's, it's an extraordinary championship, and, it, and it's just, it's going to be very, very compelling right to the very end. So, for mine, from a racing point of view, uh, and I'm unbelievably biased towards that category, because there at day one in 2008 when it started, but it was the best racing of the last two weeks at Queensland Raceway, I think, broadly. Um, those three races were uh, were something else. The great thing about it, though, Richard, is that the racing's being done by a lot of younger guys, so we know that the future of Australian racing is in pretty good hands. Yeah, and they'll, they'll all filter up into Clara Cup, and I can tell you for now that, that uh, Harry Jones, who's leading the championship, won the round on the weekend, has got designs on Carrera Cup. Ryan Sewell's got designs on Carrera Cup. Aaron Love, the younger brother of Jordan, who's already in Carrera Cup, has got designs on Carrera Cup. So it, it's just fantastic that these kids that are putting on this racing now will keep putting it on for another two, three years uh, in, in the top level if they can get there. So um, that's that's part of the appeal and what Porsche has created with this ladder system in Australia. And, of course, that, as we've talked about before, filters off to Europe or wherever you want to go and race, uh, race a cup car or race for Porsche. So... Yeah, positive stuff. It's just, but it's just mega motor racing from an entertainment standpoint. It's absolutely breathtaking, and I hope more people watch it as the year goes on because um, the last couple of rounds of Cup Challenge could be absolutely breathtaking, and there's a lot to play for in that series. So uh, yeah, it's very very cool again. Yep, certainly is. Uh, Dale, uh, Rick, uh, sorry, Rick Kelly, Kelly Operation uh, getting some aero changes for their uh, Nissans, which is good for them. Well, it'll be good for the car, I think, but it's, it's showing that the, the uh, dare I say, the disruptor in the pack, which is the Mustang, has probably caused more technical changes to the cars in, in, the, in the main game than we've ever seen in one season. Um, so it continues. I think, in reality, that, that now that, 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 that is now the norm, if you will, this will continue because uh, the, as we move to next year, whether or not the Kellys choose to run this car, there's talk about the car getting a full upgrade, there's even talk about it taking on the 2020 ultimate body out of the US which I would think is a long bow Nissan have said categorically they're, they're not interested, uh, albeit that they respect the relationship, so I guess anything they can do this year to just bring that car up uh, to be competitive week in, week out, we talked last week about how it seems to take a, you know two or three days to dial the car in um, and they can then they can sort of hit for the bottom of the top ten I think from a supercar perspective, to have it competitive while it's racing is really important. So uh, uh, I don't think it's going to turn into a Mustang beta, but if it gets into that that group where it can it can practice well Friday, they dial the car in, and it's you know it's in the mix for a top five. Yeah, why not? It's, you know, it, you can't just have one uh, for whatever reason of, of um, development phases just fall behind. It's a parity formula. So uh, I guess what we're seeing is the new norm. If something doesn't work, they're going to try and rectify it as best they can. Yeah, but you'd, you'd rather they rectify it now rather than let it stew and simmer over the course of the season, wouldn't you? Because I, I actually don't mind what's going on because it's, they're learning. This is like a baby getting up on their feet and taking that first step, falling down, and then continuing to get up, and eventually they put it all together and start walking because it, they, they're doing this by feel, but the Mustang has just forced Supercar's hands to change the way they look at especially aero and centre of gravity parity in the sport but it has to be positive because clearly it wasn't very good before so this is this is supercars learning on the fly and yes it's a bit messy and yes it's a bit political and yes they guarantee you would rather it didn't happen and play out in the media like it has but they're getting it right as they go and as they continue to learn and do more testing and do the CAD stuff that they're doing and the wind tunnel that they hopefully will do at some point, then then they're going, all oh, right, well, we've just learned that 
this is a deficiency the Nissan's got, so let's make some changes and bring it a bit closer to where the Commodore and the Mustang are. So I reckon that's a good thing. It's a bit messy how it's playing out, but overall, when we get to the next generation of car in a year's time, it's going to be absolutely critical, and it means they can nail it from the outset, and we don't have to spend a season of politics and tearing our hair about and getting frustrated trying to work out what the hell a centre of gravity on a Mustang is. So uh, I don't mind it. No, I don't However, mind though, if, if Ford Performance build a new Mustang under a new set of regulations to the level that they've built the 2019 Mustang, mm, look um, here we go again. You know, so yeah, it, look, it, we, we do now have the, 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 bench, the benchmark is set so much higher than it's ever been. With no disrespect to Triple Eight and the people that have come before them, both with Ford and Holden. But this car is a game changer, and there's no reason why on a new chassis platform, perhaps if the body uh, is, is more uh, in, in the zone of what an Mustang looks like, they won't do it again. Mm. Yeah, but, but the rules will be tighter and more defined about what they can and can't do. And the, the loopholes and the, the poking around the rules that Ford did so successfully, and that perfectly legally will continue to state until the cows come home, that... that those loopholes will be closed, ideally, because they'll have more idea about what they're doing and they'll be able to write better regulations so that the next generation of car is, is even from the outset. So I, I think that's where this is a positive and that it'll it'll hopefully close that loophole that Ford got. And, and let's be honest, that Holden got the year before with their with their CNG stuff with the composite panels on the ZP Commodore that all of a sudden everyone else had to have straight away. So well, um, in fact, this is just a Mustang thing. Every car, every major car that, that's been in the supercar era has had it. So there's no, this is not yeah. new. You know, EB e, e, to EF, VVS to VS. It, it's gone on and on and on and on. Every time, a new, every time a new car hits the deck. It's just that what's happened is that this time it's been done at a higher level. This is, the game is no different, in my opinion. It's, we've been down the same thing. You know, we had the, the um, uh, FG Falcon, had its, the gurney cut. You know, we had that thing, and that, that slowed that car down because it was too aero efficient against the Commodore. Years ago, you know, when, the, when DJR rolled out the, the, and Cito rolled out the Fords, they blitzed everything, and then they got pinned. So it's simply, it's simply this time the focus has been on the fact that a global organisation designed and built this car under the rule. They did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, and, but they've taken it to an extraordinarily high level. Two quick things before we finish it up, guys. First of all, uh, F1 in Hungary, your thoughts on that and uh, the fact that it took until the last four laps, really, for the whole thing to get interesting again? Well, I think it was one of the great strategy races uh, in a long time. It was, you know, I think the Formula 1 guys must have woken up this year and said, God, unless we find some better racing, we are in serious trouble. And no matter what's happened over the last couple of races they have, um, Verstappen did an awesome job. Uh, no question about it. Mercedes lost a little bit of traction, of course, when, when Bottas uh, uh, got his clip from uh, Hamilton and Leclerc on the, on the first lap. But, the, but to piss, uh, I mean, don't think Lewis was, was really having a go at him until the uh, the tyres went away and he realised they weren't going to get past him. 22 laps to go in his call. He's going, you're kidding me, this is not going to work. A sublime drive, a sublime strategy call, and, you know, two cars battling out, not head-to-head, but in a marvellous strategy game. So a great race. Yeah, really, yeah. really terrific race. I, I think, you know, once again, we've had weather conditions, we've had good battles, and we've had good strategy. So hopefully that, that we go to the summer break with uh, some, some uh, you know, real, real, you know, I guess, um, interest back in, in Formula 1 after what was a very dull start of the season. But a, but a great strategy call. And, you know, watching in cars and down was great. Uh, watching Daniel Ricciardo trying to get past the, mm. <laughs> the Toro Rosso was quite interesting too. But uh, anyway, oh sorry, the Hass. The Hass, yeah. Um, yeah, look, great race. Um, a great strategy race. And, you know, awesome job. Also, can I just mention that Mick Schumacher had his first win in Formula 2 on the weekend. He mm. won the reverse grid race, and that's the first race for Mick in Formula 2. Uh, he's, you know, he sits 11th in the championship, but that's a milestone for him. And... Uh, Mum was there, uh, which was great. So, uh, yeah, really, really exciting for him. It certainly was. I, uh, Mr. Rex, I will admit quite happily that uh, I got home from Queensland Raceway, uh, from Brisbane to Adelaide, uh, five minutes before the Grand Prix started. Yep. Uh, and I got four laps in, and then I woke up 58 laps in, and then I went to bed. 
So, uh, but I agree. It's a great summary by Dale. I can't add anything more other than it backs up what we were talking about last week, that uh, when you've got legitimate competition, the racing is better. Yep. And if it's not Ferrari, it's now Max Verstappen and Red Bull. So it just proves exactly what we've been talking about, that, that F1, if they get on top of their rules so that they've got more than one competitive team in any given season, the racing product's not bad irrespective of what kind of car you've got for motor racing, you get races like we've seen for the last three weeks. So um, that's, that's a positive, I think, that we can take out of the last couple of races. No doubt. And if uh, you haven't caught it yet, folks, get onto Facebook, I think it was, and there was a, a video put out by F1, uh, which had both Hamilton and Verstappen talking to their uh, their, their teams about the strategies that they were both running. And there was some just, as you said, Dale, Lewis Hamilton was just, this is not going to work. I don't know why we're doing this. And then at the end, I'm sorry I doubted you guys. Uh, that was fantastic. Yeah. But he pitches a moment, doesn't he? Come on. I mean, uh, yeah. high, high stress racing car drivers, but come on. There's, there's, there's a thousand people working on these race cars to try and get the fastest possible strategy. So... Uh, I reckon they probably know what they're doing. Yeah, fair okay. chance. Fair <laughs> chance. Hey, Richard, we've also yeah. got a we've got a massive announcement to make today too. Yeah, we do. Uh, we're really, really pleased to announce that Truck Assist uh, have come on board as uh, first major partner of the Racetalk dot com, uh, and that will extend obviously to on the grid as well. Where they're they're a brilliant, brilliant company who have done a lot for motor racing, and and Chris Gillespie, who's there. Uh, marketing guru um, is, is the one that engineers a lot of the stuff and, and their partnership with Jack LeBrock and Techno Truck Assist Racing uh, in supercars. They sponsored the Truck Assist Super Sprint at Winton this year and did an outstanding job. Um, you've never seen so much orange branding at a racetrack. They did, uh, did a brilliant job of getting behind that, that key event on the calendar. Um, and we're very proud to welcome them on board to the website and the podcast and everything else we're doing for the year. Um, Truck Assist, for those that don't know, uh, provide a 24-hour roadside assistance and insurance products to the heavy vehicle market Australia-wide. And I can know for a fact, boys, that we not only have people that listen to the podcast that drive trucks, but those that read the website as well. So uh, if you're not already, jump on board with, uh, with Truck Assist. And actually, I had a great story from Karen and Joe Glennon. Now, those names will be familiar the people that follow the Touring Car Masters, they're Cameron Tilly's major sponsor, mm-hmm. of the Valiant Pacer, and they also back uh, the Bendigo Retro HQ GDF as well. And I got a lovely message from them going, well, that's just fantastic because all of our trucking business is insured through uh, Truck Assistant NCI as well. So it's all in the family, which is fantastic, and it's going to enable us to... Uh, invest in some more quality journalism and quality photography and video and audio that we aim to produce here on On The Grid. Um, and we, we're going to stick it all back into the product so we can improve what we're doing and offer more unique motor racing contacts. So uh, thanks to Truck Assist. We're really excited about the remainder of the year and we've got some cool things in the pipeline as well with, with JLB to give some access into, uh, into techno and to a supercar team that, that otherwise we might not have the opportunity. So uh, very, very cool. Yep, very much looking forward to it. Well, thanks, boys, for being a part of it again this week. We look forward to doing it again all next week. Yes, boy. Great. Thank you. Richard. Richard Crail and Dale Rogers joining us here on The Grid.